Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, had a great time here. And uh, today's the first day of spring, right? Yes. Right? Okay, yeah. Well, okay. Happy spring. It's <laughs> a uh, <laughs> so transition from that. Um, uh, everybody wants to be somebody. I don't think anybody is seeking to be a nobody. And it's doubtful, or I hope it's doubtful, uh, that no one in this room, this morning you got up, you walked over to the mirror, looked at your face and said, good morning, loser. Good morning, nobody. Good morning, you know, you magnificent, insignificant person. I hope nobody said that. But maybe some of you did. You look at yourself and you think, um, if only, and then fill in the blank from there because you're not something, you're missing something. This is not an uncommon uh, experience for human beings. It really goes back all the way to Genesis 3. Today we're going to look and see how Paul addresses it in a particular way with 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. Interesting thing about the Corinthians. You know, we all know what there's this thing called reality television. Um, obviously, television did not exist in the first century. But if it had, the Corinthians would have had their own reality TV show. I mean, you've got it all. You've got rumors. You've got all kinds of scandal. I mean, you know those reality TV shows where, you know, somebody goes into a booth or in front of the camera and they talk about everybody else? I mean, can you imagine some of the things that people would say? Well, you know, I've always fancied Apollos myself. I mean, I think he's really like the bright light in the church. I mean, this Paul guy. I mean... I mean, he thinks he's smart or, you know, gifted or something. I'm not so excited about Paul. Somebody else might say, you know, in their moment, you know, um, nobody knows that, you know, um, that there's this weird sexual thing going on in our, our, our church. There's this guy, right, who his dad, I think, divorced this woman, but now he's with that woman, I think I'm going to blow that up tomorrow, right? I mean, you, know, you, you have you know, the, those kinds of things. Or, or you have people who would say, um, I'm really upset. I'm really upset because, you know, I, I don't have the money of some of these people. I'm one of the poorer members of our church. And, you know, we, we get together for this feast and we, we celebrate the death of Jesus. Um, but whenever I get there, there's no food there. I mean, all the food has been eaten and all the wine has been drunk. And in fact, some people are drunk. I thought we were supposed to be a people of unity together. And then, you know, what brings us to our text, there might be someone who said, you know, I'm really getting tired of this class hierarchy in our church because you know, these people, they think they're better than everybody else because they have these spectacular gifts. 
because they think, oh, you know, I have words of knowledge and I speak in tongues. Oh, you don't? That's, that's too bad. Wow. I mean, this, this is the situation. This is the situation. And in this particular text, Paul is addressing that dimension of their reality circumstance. Because there are people who thought that they were better than others and people who felt that they were less than others and less significant because they didn't have what others have. And... Paul helps us to see that we all have a place. We all have significance given to us by God. Now, if we begin with verses 12 to 13, the first thing we notice is this. So I'll read it. The body is a unit, though it is made of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit, into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So the first thing Paul's telling them is we are one. We are unified. We are together. God has brought us together. It's very interesting, you know, um, chances are that at least some of you have an identity crisis right now. Some of you, you have insecurity about who you are right now. Sometimes your insecurity is because other people have things that you don't have. Uh, and when that happens, this strange fracturing occurs where we don't think we belong. And this is what and this was happening with them. And Paul's telling them, look, in God's church, you're all together. God has brought you together. You came into this through the same way, and you're all gifted by the same spirit. It's as if the way it works out sometimes for us is, it's like, well, God was great at distributing gifts to some people, and he left them out for others. I mean, imagine this kind of illustration as an example. And maybe you're one of these people who thinks that this is really the situation. So God has his gift bag. It's a really spectacular cosmic type of gift bag. And he's walking around and he's got, I've got a gift for you and a gift for you and I've got a gift for you and I've got a gift for you and for you and, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I don't have a gift for you. I've got a gift for everybody else. Right? That's what God has done. And so the people think, you know, perhaps they didn't think they're, you know, they said, good morning, loser, but they may have said, good morning, great, ungifted wonder in God's church. The one person that God forgot about. The one left out. You know, it's like the person that never gets invited to parties, right? Like, Nobody ever invites me anywhere. Nobody asks me to do anything. Even God doesn't. Because he forgot me, he gifted them, and I've got nothing. Paul says, nope, nope, you're part of this too. And God's got given you something as well. All of us are in this together. All of us are God's amazing, gifted 
No one can say, I am forgotten by God. You might choose to say, I don't believe God has given me anything. But if you choose to say that, that is an act of willful unbelief. You are saying, God, you've given me nothing. But if you look at God's word, you cannot say that. If God has made you alive, he's given you something for serving him in his church and in his world. Everyone is gifted. Number two, God's given all of us significance in the church. In verses 14 to 20, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged a part of the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We need all the great diversity of gifts that God's given us. I mean, imagine if there was something you didn't have that you just take for granted, whether it's your sight or whether it's your hearing or whether it's one ear or whether it's your arm or whether it's a leg, whatever it is. Imagine how, think about how you, you just take for granted all the different parts of your body. Imagine if some of that was missing. And the point is, is that we need every part. Our problem is that we tend to get, we tend to magnify other parts over others and think that those are the most important. But notice what he says here. This is really, really important. He says, verse 18, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Which means that for each of us, God says there is a place for you that I have chosen and a place where you are absolutely vital. It's your part. It's your place. And God says that's true of every one of us that is his people. And please understand, it's, it's, it's hard. You might be tempted because somebody has something you don't have, and you're tempted to, you know, to say, well, I can't believe God did that for them. I mean, and it, it wouldn't be just you who's had this problem. It goes back to the apostles, actually. You know what happens at the end, uh, after the resurrection, in John 21? So Jesus is sitting around the fire with Peter. You know, he asked Peter three times. You know, Peter, who denied him three times, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And he says yes each time, and he's restored. And so then Jesus says, Peter, let's take a little stroll on the beach, shall we? So la, 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 here they are strolling along the beach, and then wait, wait, wait. I hear someone walking behind us. It's John, the beloved disciple. 
And people had been hearing things about the beloved disciple, you know, like he might never die, etc. And, you know, and he's, you know, like the right-hand man of Jesus. So Peter has a moment of insecurity, of a massive variety, apparently, and says, what about him? To which Jesus says, what about him? Is what he says. He says, whatever I want to do with him, I'll do with him. As for you, follow me. The point is, it's like, I've got something for you to do. I've got something for him to do. Don't worry about what I've got for him to do. Focus on what I've got for you to do. Isn't it interesting that if you're spending all your energy thinking about what other people are doing, you're not paying any attention to what God might want you to do. It's, I mean, and I understand, please, please understand. Um, that, you know, in fact, I've even had my own personal experience with this. Uh, it's, it's like when you think that God has given someone an opportunity that you can't have anything. Do you, do you know what a zero-sum game is? It's the kind of game where you believe that because someone gets X, whatever X is, you fill it in, and you've probably played this game at least in your mind before, somebody gets something you wished you had, and you think because they got it and I didn't, that I'm out forever, forever. I guess I'll never get an opportunity to do anything and you will be tempted to envy that person. And friends, I, I, I will be the first to tell you that I, I, can, I vividly remember an experience where that happened to me. The guy that wanted to be best man at my wedding uh, once wound up, without me knowing it, on a radio show, being interviewed by this radio, radio show that I wanted to be interviewed on. In fact, actually, really, really, I told, I told Justin, actually, I wanted to kind of have the radio show, actually, is what it comes down to. But, uh, I mean, I was in seminary, like, what radio show was I going to have? But, but, but it was this great show called The Dick Stop Show that became, uh, started in Chicago and became nationwide. Um, I loved the interviews and, that he, and then uh, I was doing my pastoral internship in Chicago and I, I turned the show on every day. So I turned it on one day and who do I hear but my buddy on the show and he didn't tell me he was going to be on the show and he was spectacular, it was great. And I mean, and you got to understand, I mean, I was all messed up. I was all messed up by that. I was like, no, no. What's that mean for me? Right? Am I ever gonna get into that shop? Mm. Strange things that happen with these microphones. But, but was anything ever gonna happen for me? I believed because he got on that show that he had what I wanted, what I hoped for, what I dreamed about, that somehow it meant, sorry, you'll never have that dream. Fast forward, I've been on television, I've been on radio many times. I never, I mean, a lot of times these things have happened unbidden. And my only point is this, 
It's so easy to fixate on what the other has and to think that, you know, because you've got it, there's no way that God could possibly have enough generosity. Never mind that God is infinite, but that God who is infinite still doesn't have enough generosity, enough care, enough attention for me, or enough giving me anything that I could ever do anything that mattered. And that I will be confined to nothingness. That's how God is. He's arranged the parts in his body, every one of them, just as he chooses for it to be. Every single one of us. He doesn't forget any of us. And if, you're, and if you've had your moment, like I did, where you're thinking, no, I can't believe it. You know, the sky is falling because somebody got an opportunity I did not have. Ask yourself, what does that really say about what you believe about God? What you believe about God might be willing to do with you, in you, through you, to serve his people, to serve his world. And here's another big problem that happens with that. When you invest all that energy in envy, isn't it kind of hard for the body of Christ to operate as a body that's supposed to work together? Because every time somebody else gets an opportunity, you know, it's like you're slowly stewing and simmering and wondering, hmm, well, there they are again. And, and here's the thing, by the way, you know, you're not harming them when you do that. The only person you're harming is yourself. You're tying yourself up in knots. You're like having acid dripping inside your body, corroding you like this, just like a drip. Don't waste the energy corroding yourself as an expression of the belief that God couldn't possibly love you enough or be merciful to you or generous to you in a way that would help you be someone who honors him in his world. Because as Paul is saying here, God has something for all of us. Every one of you is, believe it or not, vital in God's kingdom. Every one of you is significant. Turn your attention to that and ask God, Lord, what do you have for me? Not, what do you have for me? Because I don't believe you have anything for me, but what do you have for me? Even if I don't see it yet, what is it that you have for me? What do you have for me now? What are you preparing me for down the road? This is the question that we have to be asking God. Because it's not whether God has gifted you. It's like, God, what do you want to do with me with the ways that you have gifted me? Each of us. Third point, God calls us to recognize and embrace the journey of life together as a gifted community. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body, 
has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We need each other even when we are tempted to believe otherwise. There is no place in God's economy for people to think that their gifts give them reason to have their own little clique where they're the special people and everybody else you know, isn't quite so special, or for people to think that they are superior in some way, or to think that they are so unique in terms of the way that God has gifted them that they don't need anybody, it's all about me. Okay, that's called having a Messiah complex, also called an idolatry of the self. God's not interested in idols. He's interested in servants. He wants his people to live life together in all of their diversity with all the different things that he wants them to do. And some of those things will be prominent and some of those things are things that go on behind the scenes but that are absolutely vital. And God honors those things that we may not honor, but to him, they're super important. And a way to think about it is this. Um, it's easy to think that, you know, someone like me, you know, I come in here, I speak, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for me, thankfully. But to think that the only thing that's important is somebody coming in here and doing this, somebody who's up front all the time, right? But um, the fact is, is that upfront people are not most people. Most people are the people who do everything else. Which doesn't mean that people never have their moments of being upfront, but most of the time, what people are doing are not things that are upfront in front of a group of people. It's like, think about it this way. Chances are you've watched a television show or you've been to a movie and you know, you watched a movie and you're excited about the people you see on the screen. But, um, you know, certainly if you like watch Marvel movies, I mean, a lot of you like stay to the very end because of the extra scenes, right? Well, you know, even if you don't watch Marvel movies, any movie you watch, if you stay through the credits, have you noticed that there are lots of names on the credits? And have you noticed that most of those people you will never see? Most of those people are not on the screen, but you know what? It's not getting on the screen without all those people. We elevate, oh, the star, etc. guess what? The star can't get it done by themselves. You need an army of what you, people that we might think are the invisible in order to make what you see in the theater happen. I think those are called vital, indispensable, necessary people. It might be easy for you to think that because you're not a quote-unquote spotlight person, that you're an insignificant person. Don't believe that for a second. You're vital. You're necessary. God sees you. God says you're significant. And God says, without you, we're not going to get things done as well as we can get them done. 
He wants all of us to work together in the body and not to be at odds with each other because everyone doesn't have the same gift and everyone isn't given the same kind of prominence at the same time. He wants us to have life together. And in that life together, this is important, sometimes things go well, sometimes things go not so well. He says if every, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Every part. You know a problem that we have now that actually makes Christians hostile to each other? in our society, Christians are not good at suffering with other Christians. Now part of it is maybe because we're like intoxicated by a culture that says the most important thing in life is your personal happiness and your personal pleasure and you should pursue that and anything that tells you about suffering, you are to practice denial as much as possible or escape as quickly as possible. And if somebody else says they're suffering, don't get too close to that because, you know, we don't have time to talk about those things. Because that's bad. Or maybe the reason that people don't attend to the suffering of others is because they're unwilling to recognize the suffering of others. If you're going to live your life together, if you're going to be a good community here at Northwestern, if we're going to do it at Wheaton, if, if Christians around the world are going to do that well together, they have to be willing to recognize and be sensitive to the suffering of others in the body. This does not happen very well. You know, you know what actually what happens? I'll, I'll give you an example of something that happened at Wheaton recently. We have a group that's called Solidary uh, that talks about justice issues. So they made a bulletin board that had faces of prominent African-Americans. It was defaced. They put, they, they put pictures back up. It got defaced again. Okay, this is like three weeks ago this happened. Sometimes the people have said about solidarity in the past that solidarity brings up issues that don't really exist. I think that's hilarious. You know what I think that's hilarious? How can anybody at any institution say, you know the experience of every single person in the institution? How can, how can you say that somebody, whether or not somebody suffers or not? If you dare say that about somebody's experience, you are saying, I decide when people suffer. I define what suffering is for everyone, not I ask whether anyone is suffering and whether I have my antenna up to be aware that when someone is suffering then that means something is going wrong with the body. The people of God, if anybody, should be the people that say when someone is suffering my response shouldn't be I'll tell you when it's suffering. My response would be what's happening with your suffering? How can I be present with you in your suffering? How can I care for you in your suffering? How can we live together? How can we help each other move toward healing when they're suffering? If we did that, that'd be amazing. And in the same way, it's the flip side of it. When something great happens for somebody, to be quick to celebrate things for other people. 
quick to celebrate, not first go through a brief period of resentment and then get to celebration. Like, hey, it's awesome, <laughs> right? No, no. If one member's honored, celebrate with it because you're going to be honored one day. What do people do when you're honored? Do you want people to say, oh, that's great, great. And then they walked off, right? No, no. Hopefully, we can all celebrate together being thankful for the generosity that God has shown to others. If God does not have a zero-sum economy, if God who is infinite has a generosity to distribute to everyone gifts, opportunities, and has given you significance, then when great things happen for other people, you can say, oh, it's awesome what God is doing with you. And when your turn comes, they'll say the same for you. That's such a different way of living than people live in our world. There are so many people that are unhappy because they can't even see what's in front of them because they're so busy being envious and resentful of others. And they can't even look and see what God has given them. But God has given each one of you something special. God says, you are mine. I have gifted you. You're part of my people. And I want you to do things that serve me in my church and in my world. This is the truth. So if you look at yourself in the mirror, look at yourself as one who's part of God's people, as one who has been gifted by God, by one whom God says, you're mine and you have absolute significance because I have made you, I have gifted you, and I have placed you where I want you. And when you are living, in, living in, in harmony with that, you will have a life of joy and contentment that's probably beyond what many of you can even imagine right now. But it's possible. It's possible if you're willing to listen to God and embrace your place among his people and in his kingdom. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that tells us that everyone matters. Everyone is significant because you have made us significant. Lord, you give each of us gifts, talents, and abilities. Help us to celebrate with others. Help us to suffer well with others when things go wrong. And help us, Lord, to not be so attentive to the opportunities of others that we don't even look and ask for what you want us to do with what you've given us. Help us to be thankful for the generosity that you've given us and help us to be good stewards of the gifts and abilities you've given us to serve your church and your world and to be agents of love and hope and service. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Why?